Thank you for listening to the Proclaim Church Sermon Podcast. Proclaim's mission is to make Jesus known through gospel-centered worship, community, and mission. For regular meeting times, more information about our beliefs, or other information, check us out at proclaimkc.org. We'll be in Genesis chapter 2. Yeah, starting in verse 18. It says, Then the Lord said, It was not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the The Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. You can have a seat. Currently, currently wildfires are ravaging California. And it's terrible. I hate to see forests and homes destroyed. People, my understanding, this bee's buzzing around me here. Ninja, you. Um, my understanding is at least one firefighter has, has died uh, fighting the wildfires. And apparently this fire, to my understanding, was started from some pyrotechnics at a gender reveal party. As I read the headlines, the news story, I'm led to believe implicitly, if not explicitly in the articles, that this is yet another example of the damaging impact of gender on the world. If these people hadn't been making such a big deal about gender as the argument goes, Indeed, if they had just not recognized it at all, then thousands of acres of forest would still be standing. But there's a different kind of wildfire spreading about gender right now in our world, a a fire of confusion. We're living in a world that has grown more and more confused about what gender even is or what it is Four, are genders equal or different? Is gender a product of culture or something more? Are there things that God says are appropriate for a man but not for a woman and vice versa? And isn't, loving, isn't it loving to support people in, in their expression of themselves how they would like to express themselves? Part of this confusion comes from more and more people expressing their experience of tremendous feelings 
uh, burden, the, the tremendous burden of feeling that their physical bodies don't match their understanding of themselves or who they would like to be. This incongruence has recently been called gender dysphoria. This can be incredibly confusing to have something that seems so concrete, feel so out of place, to feel like living in your body is like staying in a stranger's home, to be consistently bothered by the fact that you are presenting something to others in, in your eyes that you don't believe for yourself. I recognize that there may be some of us here this morning who are thinking to themselves, yes, yes, I know exactly what that's like. I've experienced that, or someone close to me has experienced that. I understand what you're saying. And for others of you, this may seem so foreign. You may be confused of, of how this could even be a real struggle for some people. This morning, I want to kind of pause as we look at God creating male and female, God creating man and woman. And I want to talk about gender because it's such an issue in our world today. And so I want to start from Genesis 1 and 2, and I want to, I'm going to continue into a number of other passages this morning as we look at what the Bible says. And I'm not going to hide my hand here. I'll show it right up front. I, my hope is to show you from Scripture that gender is a gift. Gender is a gift we steward for God's glory and our good. That gender is a gift from God. And we are to steward it. We don't own it. My gender is not mine. It's God decided, and he's given it to me to steward, to take care of, to use for his glory, for our good, mine own, and the world's. And we'll discover that the, the Bible's view of gender, we'll discover the Bible's view of gender, I should say, uh, looking at three different layers. Layer one, I want to look at God's design for gender. Layer two, I want to look at sin's damage of gender. And layer three, I want to look at Jesus's redemption of gender. So let me pray as we get started. Lord God, uh, there is so much confusion and pain and hurt in the world and and there has been because, you know, through issues that, that that arise that that are um, related to gender. Lord, there's so many polarizing views and hateful responses. Lord, we want to know your truth. God, I pray for hearts that would be surrendered to your truth. Lord, I pray for hearts that would be surrendered to their creator. I pray for hearts and minds that would be open to your word this morning. Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to be active among us. Else in your name. Amen. So I want to look first at this, this, this first layer, God's design for gender, and really start here in Genesis. You see, I'll, let me be clear. God created sex 
I mean, by that I mean biological sex, male and female, binary. Genesis 1, 27 says this, so God created man in his own image, the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. In the beginning, there was male and there was female, and that's it. God created us biologically male and female down to the DNA of every single cell in our bodies. Every cell in our bodies knows whether it is male, XY, or female, XX. Every single one. No, some may cite here genetic deviations that are often classified as, as intersex. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. These do exist. We'll talk about that a little bit more when we talk about sin's damage to gender in a moment. But we'll leave that off for, for now. Even still... Even with that, this first truth isn't changed by the fall. We see in Genesis 5, verses 1 and 2, after sin has entered the world, that this truth is repeated. It says there, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and he named them man when they were created. In fact, even Jesus assumes the binary of biological sex in Matthew 19.4, where he says this, quote, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And so God created biological sex binary, but also God designed gender to correspond to those sexes. So we move from Genesis 1, 27 to Genesis 2, 23 through 24, where it says, Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The text moves here from the Hebrew words for male and female to the Hebrew words for man and woman, they are different words in the original text, in the original Hebrew. The implication here is then that biological sex is determinative of gender. Male is man and female is woman. But also, it's determinative of some potential gender roles, as we see in verse 24, right? Human males have the potential of being husbands and fathers. And you could add implicit with that brothers, uncles, etc. Human females have the potential of being wives and mothers, sisters. Daughters. All this is confirmed and doubled down on in the New Testament. Jesus uses the binary, not just of biological sex, but the binary of gender as the basis for his arguments in Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 8, where he says, And from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The point I'm making here 
is that biblically there are two genders. And a person's biological sex determines their gender and it rightly informs at least some gender roles and expressions. And this is actually a really good thing. When we look at Genesis 1, we see that God makes certain separations. Do you remember from when we were looking at Genesis chapter 1, God separated light from darkness. He separated sea from heavens. He separated land from sea, etc., etc. These separations, they create order in the world. God's order, not my order, not your order, God's order. And that order, it says, actually brings forth blessing, that God actually fills that order with life and with harmony. It comes out of the order that he has for his world. And God takes his image bearers and separates them into male and female, man and woman, And he fills that with blessing and harmony through bringing them together in marriage. We're going to talk about that more next week. But the point here is this. Male and female, man and woman, it's not my order. It's not your order. It's God's design. It's God's decision. It's not mine to decide. So why is this important? Why does this matter? I've heard advocates, LGBT advocates, who would disagree with what I'm saying and disagree with the Bible here, claim that Christians are only concerned with a person's sexual organs. But it's actually the total separation of biological sex from gender that reduces the purpose of our biological sex down to just physical sexual organs and reproduction. If biological sex has no purpose beyond an evolutionary function for the continuation of species, then your biological sex is merely a roll of the dice in the universe. Whether you were born a man or a woman is just... Chance just happened to be that way. Some are lucky enough to get what they prefer, and others are the unlucky few who don't get what they prefer. The Christian says something different. The Christian says that your biological sex is partly about those things. It's partly about reproduction, etc., but also, it has so much more purpose for your life. And it has so much more purpose because that XX or that XY is part of how God chose to design you. How God uniquely decided that you would be. That each and every person that has ever existed on the face of the earth, that God decided for every single one, every single one, he made a conscious decision that that would be a male or a female, a man or a woman. It's not an unlucky accident. And even if you wished... And even if you do wish it was different, 
And even if you know someone who struggles with this very thing and they wish that it was different for them, there is hope. If a sovereign God has uniquely designed you to be the way you are, then there is hope that the reality of that purpose But the reality is for, for, that you are designed that way for purposes that are greater than you could ever imagine. That even if you don't see it right now, that even if you don't realize it right now, that even if you completely disagree with it, that a sovereign God has designed you that way for purposes that are greater than your mind or my mind can grasp. But two problems are left unanswered if we stop here. The first question that comes up is, why then is there so much disharmony between genders with gender being weaponized oftentimes against people? And why do some people feel so strongly that God or nature or whatever got their bodies wrong? We have to come now to the second layer, which is sin's damage to gender. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin. We're going to see that in a few weeks when we get to that passage. And consequently, they are expelled from the garden. And rather than submitting to God's created order, what they did was they rebelled. They tried to make an order for themselves. They tried to decide what the order should be rather than submitting to God's created order and being blessed through it. And in Genesis 3, we see that their order is really no order at all. Rather, it's confusion and conflict. And that includes between genders. Sin causes a very real battle of the sexes. We see that confusion and conflict in at least two arenas. We see it communally, but we also see it personally. Communally, we see that in every culture and society, there are certain gender roles and expectations. And due to sin's consequences... These uh, gender roles and expectations, and there are, I should say, gender roles and expectations in every single culture, in every single society that are harmful. There are some that are harmful or become harmful in the way that we use them. Certain roles and expressions are so ingrained into our culture that they become dogma. They become almost like scripture to us, even though they're not. And the problem is that culture, our culture, the culture we happen to like or prefer, becomes our anchor when in reality, culture is, a changing, is the changing waves and the Bible ought to be our anchor in the midst of that. And so we must examine each role and expectation through the lenses of scripture, first determining if it's expressly biblical or not. For instance... Women have been given the privilege to give birth to children. That's God-given. That is biblical. We see that in the text. Some might say in the world today that that hurts women because maybe, maybe because they have to uh, take care of their kids or they have to go through pregnancy or whatever, they, make, they end up making less money. The Bible says to that, who said making money is the highest goal in life? Or some might argue against that saying it hurts women because it damages their bodies and creates all sorts of other issues. And the Bible says, yeah, sin has made 
pregnancy and childbirth a lot more difficult. But what better use for a body than to bring life into the world? But we can also identify unbiblical and sinful uses of gender roles and expectations. For instance, keeping in the same vein as those illustrations, it's unbiblical when our expectation for women reduces them to objects for our visual enjoyment. That is unbiblical. Sometimes we can have unbiblical responses to biblical roles. For instance, husbands, this is a little bit of a soapbox for me, so just so you know, I'm getting on a soapbox for two seconds. Husbands, don't you ever, don't you ever criticize your wife for bearing the marks and sometimes the scars of childbirth. She carried out the role God gave her despite the added pain that sin has brought to it. Don't you ever criticize her for the way that she looks because of that. How dare you? Not only is that wrong and frankly despicable, but that criticism only adds to the problem between genders. Okay, I'm gonna get off that soapbox for a second. When there are gender roles and expectations that are used in harmful ways, sometimes, or sometimes just in ways that people just don't like, They just don't prefer. The trend today is to fix that problem, to try to resolve that problem by creating fluidity between gender roles and expectations or to just discard them all together. The problem with that solution, I contend, is that it promotes both covetousness and deception. Let me explain. When I decide that I don't like the gender role of the sex that's been given to me and would rather have the other, or I don't like the sexuality given to me and would rather have another, or I don't like my gender altogether and I would rather have another, what I am doing is I am coveting what another person has rather than finding contentment and satisfaction in the thing that God has given me. Do you understand? I don't like my lot in life in this arena. I like theirs better. I'm coveting that. I want that rather than finding contentment with where I am. And one thing that's true of covetousness, once it takes root, even if you get the thing that you covet, it will only satisfy for a short while. And soon you will covet something else. You will continue in unsatisfaction until you get rid of the covetousness in your heart. Additionally, there is an inherent deception in it. If I seek to change my gender, then my goal is for you to believe that I am a different sex than what I actually am biologically, right? I mean, that's what I'm doing. And that is inherently deceptive. I believe that when we are aware of the sex and gender that God has given an individual and we call them by a different set of pronouns, we're adding to that deception.
The Bible speaks directly to attempts to present oneself as a different gender or even to blur the lines between genders so that someone wouldn't know which you are in both Deuteronomy 22.5 and 1 Corinthians 11. You can read those passages later. The point is the Bible calls us to work within the cultural norms in order that we won't be deceptive and cause confusion. For instance, it doesn't give us a dress code for each gender. In our culture, in our culture here, wearing a dress is and has been normally for women and thus men ought not to wear a dress because it is deceptive. It is blurring the lines between genders. However, if we went into a different culture where wearing a dress for men was quite normal, if, for instance, I became a missionary in a culture where men wear dresses on the regular and that's what is normal, then I'm probably needing to go pick up a few dresses because that's what's normal. In fact, my guess is that if we, Jesus was standing here in his robes that he wore as he walked around on the earth, we'd pro- it'd probably look more like a dress than than what men wear today. It's not a certain set of clothes that are sinful. It's the deception of others and the covetous hearts that want something other than what God has given us. Understand there are times when gender roles and expectations can be a cover for other sinful behaviors. And we need to recognize that, especially in the church and especially in ourselves. But generally speaking, Gender roles and expectations clear up confusion and they provide necessary stability for our culture to help us flourish as a community and to help us flourish in a community. A simple example can be this. When, you, when I go and visit uh, a family, uh, now here I know everyone super well, but when I've been in churches in the past that were bigger and I didn't know every single person that was at church, uh, someone would maybe have a baby and they'd say, hey, we need a pastor to go visit this family. Uh, they just had a baby and okay, I'll, I'll go visit them. I don't know who they are. I've never met them. So I go and I go visit them in the hospital and I walk in and I've got no idea if this child is a boy or a girl. And that can be a really embarrassing moment, right? But by grace, they dressed the baby girl in pink and I know exactly what gender it is now. It's a simple and silly illustration, but it hopefully makes the point that gender roles and and expressions actually clear up confusion and make it easier for us to relate to one another in community. It's good. It's good for human flourishing. So one arena where sin has marred gender is communally, but also personally it has. We we often don't like things about ourselves, right? I mean, even if you've never experienced gender dysphoria, my guess is if you thought for two seconds, you'd think of something about you, about your body, you don't like. I wish I was taller. I wish I was blah. I wish I was this. Romans 8, 20 and 21 say this. It says, for the creation... For the creation, all of creation, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of glory 
of the glory of the children of God. What it's saying is creation is marred by sin. Creation is out of joint, if you will. Things don't work how they should completely. Indeed, in some ways, our bodies aren't as they should be. We all should feel off to some degree in this current sinful world. So if you feel off in some way, that's because things are off. If you feel tension, that's because there is tension that sin has created. What's more, even our physical bodies are prone to deficiencies, right? There are some who have genetic disorders in regards to their biological sex. Like I said, we've called that intersex. For instance, Klinefelter syndrome is where a person has an extra chromosome. Instead of being XY, they're XXY. We know a, a thing or two about having extra chromosomes. It's not that dissimilar genetically from things like Down syndrome. It's just an extra chromosome. It creates difficulties in my son's physical body. It's not ideal. However, since our identity as God's image bearers is a category that is above gender and above DNA, understand that our value as God's image bearers, our identity is a category that is above gender and DNA. This doesn't lessen anyone's value because they have a genetic disorder. It doesn't mean that there's either a third gender either, either both scientifically these aren't considered a third sex or gender, they're considered a deviation from the norm, and the Bible also doesn't consider them a third sex as well. The Bible is filled with expressions, physical expressions that pair with spiritual realities. They aren't meant to be separated. They're meant to go together. That's how God designed it to be because that's how he designed us to be, body and spirit. Both matter to him. Understand, both matter tremendously to him. Sin separates us temporarily, body from spirit, through death. But at Jesus' coming, all will be brought back together, body and spirit. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? That your separation at death, body from spirit, is temporary. But the Bible says that when Jesus comes back, every single person who has ever lived will be reunited spirit to body forever. For those struggling with feeling like they are in the wrong body, Where our culture has grown more and more confused, the Bible remains really clear. Your biological sex is your gender, and God didn't make any mistakes there. Here's the point. The Bible is telling us that liberation from your God-given gender will not bring you the freedom you think it will bring, but will cause greater confusion and pain, not just for you, but for society and for others. This is not to deny that a person may be experiencing a tremendous amount of confusion and disequilibrium between their biological sex and their gender. That happens. If sin can and does create us in us a dislike or self-consciousness over the state of our physical bodies, then gender dysphoria is 
an unfortunate amplification of the same lies that Satan is telling us. I think Sam Albury aptly writes about this. He says this, quote, our culture says your your psychology is your sexual identity. Let your body be conformed to it. The Bible says your body is your sexual identity. Let your mind be conformed to it. How can that happen though? What hope do we have? I think we see this in our third layer, Jesus's redemption of gender. You see, the Bible says that Jesus was God and humbled himself and took on human flesh. Do you get this? That God, being spirit, took on human flesh. How important it is, this connection between soul and body. Specifically, it says that Jesus came as a man, and Jesus was a true man. He was neither passive nor was he domineering, and in his meekness, in his incredible power, he channeled it in the service of others. He put on a human body, and he served humans, even though he was God in heaven. Would, you would think that this would create an enormous amount of disconnection for him, right? God in a human body? That it would create a tremendous amount of confusion, but yet it, it didn't. The body he took on was good. It was good because it was part of God's plan from the beginning. Jesus willingly submitted to the Father's will, as he said in John 3, or 6, 3, 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. But, but Jesus didn't stop there. Having lived a totally perfect and sinless life, he went to the cross for sinners, bearing their sin on himself. Imagine that. A holy God who's never sinned, and suddenly all of these terrible sins are placed on him as he's hanging by nails on a cross, as physically painful as the crucifixion is, and it was, I have no doubt that the psychological and emotional pain that Jesus experienced on the cross far outweighed the physical pain. That no one in the history of the world has experienced greater psychological or emotional pain than Jesus did in that moment. If you believe that Jesus can't sympathize with the person experiencing gender dysphoria, think again. And the question for us instead is this, will we submit to the bodies God has given us just as Christ did, recognizing that it's a good gift for us, even if we don't get it right now? And this is not just for the gender dysphoric, but for anyone who feels unsatisfied with any aspect of their physical body that God gave them. Will you recognize that it's sin, not God's design, that creates physiological and psychological pain and confusion? But Jesus gives us hope here because he didn't stay on the cross, because he didn't only die, but he rose again. And his dead physical body was resurrected and transformed into a living, glorified, yet still physical body. One that could be touched, one that ate food, one that was still clearly male in biological sex and gender. And it's on the basis of 
the gospel that we believe Jesus is the only answer for all of our gender problems because in 2 Corinthians 5.17, as we read earlier, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So for every person who has faith in Jesus, that he came and he died and he rose again, we are not just given a ticket to heaven. We are given a new identity. An identity that supersedes all other identities. An identity that lasts forever. We are adopted as his sons and daughters. We are the church. We are the bride of Christ. There's no better identity than that. There's no greater identity than that. And it's not just an external transformation, but it's a transformation down to our very core. We are not defined by the ways that we have failed. We are not defined by the way that we feel. Understand, Christian, if you are in Christ, you are not defined by the way that you feel or by the mistakes and the failures that you have committed. We are creatures made in, by a creator in his image. We are redeemed males and females right before our creator because of the work of Christ. We are not who we were. We're new, but there's more. We also don't have to live, nor should we live, how we used to live. Romans 6, 6 says, we know that our, our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we, we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We're empowered through Christ to no longer live how we used to live, to no longer be in competition with other genders, no longer hate the bodies that we've been given. We don't have to. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, you are not your own, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Do you, do you get that? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Glorify God in your, your body, your physical body. It matters. It matters to God. Because Christ has made us right before God, we desire to live into that salvation that he has given us already. This is hope. And this hope is not only for the person struggling with their gender or even for the person struggling, struggling with sexual sin in general, but for all of us because we all need to be transformed. We all do. It's not just hope for today because of Jesus' work in the past, but it's hope for today because of Jesus' work in the future as well. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that we will be raised, that all of us who are in Christ will be raised just as Jesus was at his second coming into new and glorified bodies. In a sense, we should feel out of place in our bodies today because these aren't the bodies that we're going to spend eternity in. These bodies have been impacted by sin. These bodies are breaking down and dying because of the effects of sin. One day, for all who are in Christ, our bodies will be changed and will be perfected. How we feel internally at that moment will perfectly match who we are externally.
the gender dysphoric, Jesus is not just saying, I know, but Jesus is saying, no more. But let me be clear. The Bible gives us every indication that these bodies, that our glorified bodies, will have both biological sex and gender, even if we'll cease in the new heavens and the new earth, even if we cease in reproduction and marriage and, and those kinds of things. For Jesus, in his resurrected body, was still a man, and thus Jesus will stay for eternity willingly as a man, and so will we stay in our biological sex and gender. Here's the bottom line. Gender is a gift that we steward for God's glory and our good. We must recognize the equal dignity and value of male and female. We must recognize the unique differences between male and female, respecting and admiring them. We must recognize our own sex and gender as a valuable gift, not trying to liberate ourselves from it, but being content in it. We must recognize that some may never shake the incongruence between their, what their gender is and how they feel internally. Just as all of us won't come to a place of perfection on this side of the eternal state. But for all of us, that's no reason not to submit to Jesus. And some may think that you can, uh, some may think to themselves, how can we stop this wildfire? They might think to themselves, man, a, a transgender person, for example, they'd have to give up so much to come to Christ. But have we forgotten that God's call is for all of us to deny self and to follow him, for all of us to give 100% of who we are to Christ, for all of us to find our identity totally and completely in Jesus above all else. Salvation, friends, is a miracle as much for you as it is for anyone else. It's a miracle. Praise Jesus. Gender dysphoria creates a unique version of putting off the old self and putting on the new. But if anyone is in Christ, friends, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. That's Christ's work, not ours. The old is gone. The new has come. Let me pray. Lord, I hurt to think about the pain and the confusion that that people are experiencing in that that oftentimes our culture and media and different things promote that just creates more and more confusion and more and more pain for more people. Lord, I pray. I pray especially for the person who is struggling here. With dissatisfaction about the body that you've given them, Lord, I pray that they would lean into you, they would submit to you, and that, that they would find freedom and, and contentment in what you've given them, and that they would discover the unique purpose that you've created them for. Lord, your word says that we're your workmanship. You created us for 
for things that you prepared in advance for us to do. Part of that workmanship is our manhood and our womanhood. I pray that we would embrace that. And ultimately that we would give those things over to you. Thank you and I pray all this in your name. Amen.